Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us friends at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Nyla Schwab. Coming up on this episode, episode 229. We'll be talking to two special guests about brain donation and Alzheimer's research. And I'm going to be talking about how a story with my son and his shoes has given me a different perspective on life. I can't wait to hear all about it, all that and more right here, The Gifted Life, thegiftedlife.org. everybody here on the Gifted Life podcast. We are excited to introduce you to our newest friends. They come to us from the Rush Alzheimer's Disease Center, and we're excited to learn from them today. Um, First up, Dr. Crystal Glover. How are you, ma'am? I'm doing quite well. How about yourself? I am good. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Rush? Yes, I'm an applied social psychologist and mixed methodologist here at the center. I also lead our outreach, recruitment, and engagement core. So my program of research focuses on two big elements. One is building studies and keeping them going with community participant uh, engagement, recruitment, sustainability from the onset, and I do that through qualitative and quantitative work. The other side, I focus on healthy aging. What goes into non-pharmacologic ways that we can maintain our brains as we get older. And I've been here about seven years and glad to work with Ryan and others. Yeah, she mentioned Ryan. I want to bring you up next. Ryan Johnson, welcome to the mic. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Tell us a little bit about Rush and what you do there. Sure. Uh, so I'm a pathologist assistant by training. I've been at the Alzheimer's Disease Center uh, kind of off and on since 2005. But uh, after uh, becoming a pathologist assistant, I came back in 2015 to manage the biospecimen procurement and distribution lab. And um, I think that's what we'll be talking about for the majority of today. Yeah, and it says those researchers at Rush are leading efforts to cure diseases and promote health equity around the world. So we certainly appreciate you guys joining us now. going to turn you over to our clinical guy, Joey, here to start the convo. Yeah, so, you know, oftentimes... In the hospitals, even through with families, I'm sure Nyla is even, you know, she's worked with families for so long, has even had the questions. We, we get the questions from time to time, especially if we have a, a patient that's obviously a brain injured, uh, sometimes resulting in brain death. And, and families ask that question, like, why? so wait, why are you asking about organ donation? Why don't we just donate or get someone to donate their their brain so he can get have a, a brain transplant. that in high school classes too. Yeah. yeah, it's a very common question for us, and obviously we know, you know that that there's no opportunity for brain transplant uh, a donation specifically for transplant. We recover and transplant other organs in the body, but obviously research is a big uh, untapped, at least for some years until just a few years back for us, at least, at, at LOPA, uh, opportunity for donation. So I want you guys, I'll start with you, Ryan. Can you tell us a little bit about why it's so important for people to say yes to brain donation? Yeah, of course. So uh, the clinical diagnosis for Alzheimer's disease has really come a long way in the last few years. Um, but even with it being relatively accurate, 
the only definitive way to really diagnose Alzheimer's disease is to get a look at the brain under a microscope. So without that, we're kind of suspecting what has happened. And in addition to that, we actually find in most cases multiple disease processes that are causing the dementia. So Ryan, with that, you know, what are some of the big findings that you guys have identified, or maybe this is for you, Dr. Glover, uh, in, with brain donation to help with uh, Alzheimer uh, research? So I wouldn't have, I don't want to speak to that question directly, but I do want to tag team on what Ryan just said about brain donation still being the gold standard for understanding Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. And we do hear a lot from folks that may confuse organ donation, say, on their license for brain donation associated with the Rush Alzheimer's Disease Center or any other research entity. But the big part that we give back is that type of diagnosis that definitively you can understand the pathology in the brain of your loved one, which is huge for closure, of course, uh, as we all know, but also in planning for your own future. So many family members are thinking, you know, how can I prevent this or how can I be on the lookout? But at least knowing your own familial history gives you a starting point in terms of your own health, but also your grieving process. So I really think that's great that you said that, Ryan, because I'm thinking from the work that I've done, that's exactly where participants are coming from. So kind of explain the, the process to us, if you could, about how this all takes place um, from getting the consent to actually getting the donation. So as a part of uh, any person's research participation here at the center, uh, especially for Black and Latino older adults, we have optional brain donations. So we have that as optional. So as we go through what exactly is brain donation, it's really a focus on three elements, PPO, the process, the purpose, and the outcome. Why are we asking for your brain? What would be the process of consenting, as well as once you pass away, an autopsy? And what's the outcome? What are we looking to get from it? What does your family get from it? And then we postulate, what would you get from it? So even like a gift for the future. So that's how we speak about it up front. Some individuals will say, yes, I would like to uh, sign up to consent to have my brain donated for research. We have then the official Uniform Anatomical Gift Act. That's a legal binding document where it says, I would like to donate my brain to research at the Rush Alzheimer's Disease Center. They sign that. We do ask if we can make their family members aware that they've decided to donate their brain, that they have this relationship with us. And most times they say, okay, if they do, we then bring it in, we make it a family kind of conversation and decision-making process. Then the person lives uh, as they pass away. Uh, we have provided procedures to loved ones and entities that they may belong to uh, of what to do once someone passes away. The number to call, the process that will take place, it comes in here to Ryan and his team. But that's the hinky part, is that we're always looking to not only involve the person, but also their family. Because as you may know, older black, Latino, other adults, just really less likely to consent while they're alive, of course, 
But then once they pass away, it's either even lower levels of actually procuring or getting the brain. So that means that, of course, they can't bring themselves in. That's a family member or someone else. So we have to cultivate those relationships as well to really indicate what Ryan has said. Why is it important? It's the gold standard. What will you find out? How can you move forward? And how little this will be uh, an impact on your grieving process as well as your internment plans for your loved one and yourself. So that's how I see it on my end, especially with my my outreach hat on. Just to reiterate, it is so very important to get the uh, family buy-in uh, because, as Dr. Glover has said, it doesn't matter how many participants consent for this if we don't get that call when they pass away. Uh, the The family is really the voice for their loved one who has passed, and it's the family that works at the funeral home to to help initiate the process. So without that, nothing moves forward. I have actually a couple questions. One, you know, are there specific concerns or myths that you guys have to dispel in order to have a better understanding for, you know, when you're educating uh, different groups, whether it's Caucasian, Asian, African-American, Hispanic, uh, are there certain myths that pop up uh, and concerns that one or multiple groups might have? And second, Dr. Glover, you, you mentioned the process and you talked about that a little bit. But so what does that process look like? And, and can you have like an open casket funeral and all that while, after the process is over? So I would say the lessons that we have learned or seen from the field, regardless of demographic categorization, is that they're really interested in the purpose. So why are we asking about this? So they may think that, one, how is brain donation related to my research participation? So what I'm already doing at the center, how are you going to relate that or really uh, understand more about me, more about the disease, and more about my family through brain donation? And then the process, yeah, a lot of folks are really concerned about if I want to be buried, if I want to have a casket, an open casket, uh, will I be able to do so? And we emphatically answer yes, because the folks here, Ryan, his team, the autopsies are conducted in such a way that whether they would like to be cremated or casket burial, it is possible and they will look the way that they would like to look in a way that is not uh, jarring for their loved ones. So we always offer that upfront. And then the outcome, of course, I outlined that just a little bit earlier in the segment, but some of the other myths is that on the lighter side is thinking that because they signed up for organ donation, uh, that it automatically will come to any research entity. So dispelling that uh, misperception. But then on the other side is what you hearkened to earlier is about, well, are you going to give my brain maybe to someone else? Or is this a, a brain transplant? So really letting them know that that is A, not what we plan to do. B, that's not possible. And C, it's just really to find out more about you and your brain health at the time of passing. And that will inform how we may prevent, treat, and one day hopefully cure Alzheimer's disease and related dementias, but then also what we plan to give to the families once they pass, like an understanding of any disease that is in their brains. And I know we're talking a lot about the brain, but but off air, you guys mentioned it's not just the brain. What what are the other tissues that are donated that also help in the similar research? So 
So in addition to uh, brain, our participants consent to donate spinal cord as well as biopsies from the nerve, muscle, bone, and adipose tissue. Uh, collecting these tissues allows us to look at what's going on in the brain and how it relates to changes in other body systems and tissues as we age. Ultimately, this allows us to study the relationship between Alzheimer's disease and other ailments that uh, our participants may be going through, such as osteoporosis or uh, loss of mobility, things uh, of that nature. You know, I find this all very fascinating because every time I can't remember something, I always think, oh, no, do I have Alzheimer's? Do I have dementia? And we're just hearing so much more about it. So I, is this something you have to sign up for before you die? Or is this something that you can do at time of death? No, it is something that uh, that we have to sign up ahead of time. Um, many brain banks across the U.S. now are really getting into the clinical data collection uh, and having that combined with the pathological data that we collect after death. Uh, and that's becoming, as we mentioned a couple of times now, the gold standard. Uh, so without that clinical data coming along with the tissue, a lot of centers are getting away from that. I was going to pop on to what Ryan was saying that I think what really is a benefit of signing up, of course, you need to while you are alive. But I think the big piece is that taking part in the research is just not brain donation, even though it's a huge piece. But you're being having cognitive testing, you're providing details about, say, what you do cognitively for activity or physical activity, what you eat, who you spend time with, uh, your, how you walk, and, and having those other clinical assessments that we can put together along with your brain once you pass away for a full picture of who you were as you lived and then what we see once you pass away. And that's really quite elegant to see what is functionality, what's the way a life lived experience while someone's here, and then to see a corresponding brain once they pass, that's almost a life course there to understand aging and what is the end result in the brain. So I think that's a wonderful contribution that all folks who participate, especially at the Rush Alzheimer's Disease Center, that that's really what we're finding out. So it's not just uh, brain per se, but it's the full from lived to end experiences and what we see. I'm so interested in this. And so I'm just wondering, like being me, could I just, I could sign up today with y'all to be, I mean, I'm in my 50s. So to join our studies, you have to be 65 years and older and of sound mind. Oh, um, I'm out. So <laughs> not sound mind. <laughs> One thing that uh, I wanted to add on to the last question um, that I kind of learned in my time here at the Alzheimer's Disease Center is, one of the first questions, or maybe the first question, I mentioned that we're not only finding Alzheimer's disease pathology in the brains, but we're also seeing other diseases, disease processes in the brain. Uh, something that I find very interesting is that we're also finding Alzheimer's disease pathology in brains of people who never got dementia. Mm. And so having that longitudinal testing, uh, cognitive testing happen, we can kind of relate this back to their life and how they progressed or whether they progressed. And that helps the research along. What did those people do differently that helps kind of protect them from getting dementia when they still had Alzheimer's disease? So I, I just wanted to throw that in there. That's an interesting concept. So basically what you're saying, 
or at least what I'm hearing is so so you know obviously you have some some people who you guys do research on and they they have dementia and and you see the evidence you know in their specimens in the brain and things whereas others you'll see the evidence but don't have any signs of dementia so there is so so the next i guess steps would be maybe to to look at the links that that these groups have and see if that could be maybe not a cure, obviously, for Alzheimer's, but a way to at least prolong your, uh, you know, your brain function at the highest level and your memory and things like that. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Uh, yeah, just because you may be getting dementia, or excuse me, just because you may be getting Alzheimer's disease, what, what's considered the quintessential pathology, the plaques, uh, uh, the amyloid plaques and the tau angles doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get dementia. And so this allows us to try to identify the protective factors and share that with the community. Is there anything that you can share or at an early kind of early findings or, or are you waiting for the entire research project to be done? I'm, I'm curious because, uh, you know, inquiry minds want to know. I know, it's fascinating. <laughs> we actually have quite a few publications on some of this information and anybody is is welcome and able to go to our website. The website is www.radc.rush.edu and anybody can go through there and view the publications, any publication that we've ever put out there. Uh, And a couple that come to mind is Cognitive Reserve, which is basically the brain's ability to protect itself against the pathologies. So whenever I go out for any talks, I always plug these top three. One is making sure you're getting some physical activity. That could be walking around Walmart or Target. That could be gardening. It's whatever that you can do often and comfortably. Uh, Also is cognitive activity. That just means doing something mentally stimulating, crossword puzzles, reading, looking at a magazine, uh, tend to not be TV or television. So scratch that one if you're listening. Social media? Well, no, um, not that. (laughs) (laughs) Myself too. Okay, just asking for a And then the last thing, social activity. Getting out frequently with friends and loved ones that you enjoy being around. So talking about current events or what you are watching on television or seeing on social media, all of those sorts of ways to stay connected, whether to yourself, to your body physically, of course, but then to others are key. And I can't emphasize enough. When you are middle-aged, so think anywhere from 30s to 50s, I'm always talking about the heart-to-head highway. What you do with your heart and for your heart in middle age will come back and have impact for your brain in later age. So if you have hypertension, metabolic uh, syndrome, uh, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, make sure that you get control of those early on and keep them under control as best as possible. And you'll pay yourself forward once you get a little bit older. I think we need to take that clip right there, that recording, and sh- and it just needs to be plastered all over Louisiana. <laughs> I need Dr. Glover to I sit know, with me, me and just look over my thinking. life and just make sure I'm going yeah. in the right direction. Like, I feel like we need a, a session. <laughs> Guys, this is so amazing um, what y'all are doing. And then y'all are on the front lines um, doing it. So looking forward, um, you know, thanks to people saying yes to to donation um, at no cost to them. um, What are you guys looking at? What are you excited about in your field? I think what I'm most excited about is that more people are talking about it. 
I feel like when I was growing up and, you know, sometimes now it's so highly stigmatized. No one wants to talk about illnesses or issues with the brain, whether it's from psychiatric to dementia, mm-hmm. always so shrouded in secrecy. So I think whether it's talking about with your family, talking about in community-based organizations, media, otherwise, I just love that. I love that we are receiving requisite funding for the consistent and continuous discoveries, whether it's pharmacologic or non-pharmacologic, that we're all contributing to the field and that we're getting it out there. What are ways that you can uh, foster brain health younger in middle age and in older age? And just because you're 65 and older, it doesn't stop. Those things that we talked about, cognitive reserve, physical activity, social, cognitive, continue to do them. They always pay dividends as you live forward. So I think just having that, the ability to have those conversations and to have those scientific contributions and that they're spread around, that's what I'm really excited about. Yeah, I'm excited. I said, uh, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow because we do um, get lots of questions in the classroom. Um, those curious kids that will probably be joining you guys one day doing what you do. And I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm glad that they want to know more. Um, and if those folks want to reach out, they want to support you guys, they want to learn more, um, what sites do we send them to today, guys? So we have our website, of course, www.rabc.rush.edu, but we're also on social media, and we're pretty regular there. So you can find us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Rush Alzheimer's. That's our handle. You can find me at C-G-S-T-E-R, and then you can find the Rush Alzheimer's Disease Center on Facebook. And we're pretty active there. So we're putting all those great findings that Ryan spoke about up for public consumption. If anybody is uh, looking to work in the field, we are hiring. And they could go to the uh, Rush uh, website, which is www.rush.edu. And under career opportunities, they can they can search for some of the jobs that we're currently offering. Well, when I hit 65, I'm signing up. I like it. Thanks for teaching us today, guys. We certainly appreciate you guys spending the time um, letting us learn from you. Um, and as you do more, like we hope that you come back here on The Gifted Life and tell us more. We're excited about what you guys are doing. Thank you. that time. Time for a moment with mental health. A moment with mental health. And I'm, con- I'm confused at how shoes ties <laughs> yeah. in with mental health. But I shoes am listening. I am tuned okay, in. Okay. So there's two parts to it. And I'll try to keep it quick. So my son says, hey, mom, I need some help picking out some shoes for my suit. So I go with him and I'm like, hey, I like these. And he says, I don't really like those. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I mean, you're going to wear the suit twice, probably a year. They're for funerals, weddings, and interviews. And I said, and get a pair of shoes and just put it away. Never touch them again, except when you need them, and they'll look nice. He's like, well, I don't like that. And I said, okay, well, get what you want. He goes, well, why can't you like what I want? And I said, (laughs) I I thought you asked me my opinion to get the shoe. Anyway, and so this went back and forth, back and forth. Well, paid for them? Like, aren't you curious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I did, right? And he paid for the suit. I paid for the shoe. Okay, so... And then it got a little bit heated, and we were checking out, and the woman at the register said, oh, man, are y'all fighting over who's going to pay? And I was like, oh, we are fighting over everything. (laughs) So I really felt like I had 
a good point here. So we let it go. Life goes on. And then so I, through Lopa, we use, I'll just give him a shout out. Is it Task Human? Yep. And so I speak with this woman. Okay, so this is, it's kind of like for people who have a company, have EAP or mental health support. So Lopa offers this and it's amazing. So I'm working with this woman on my monkey brain. And, you know, we were talking about brains earlier and I don't think anybody would take my brain because it is all (laughs) over the place. And, or maybe they would, they probably need to do a study about it. But uh, so this wonderful woman who is in Italy, I'm sitting there telling her, I don't really know if I have much to talk about. I'm trying to stay focused with, you know, mindfulness. And she said, well, what, what are you thinking about? And I said, well, you want to know? It's, and so I tell her. <laughs> and so she listens to the whole story. And I was thinking, ah, oh, point proven. And she goes, good. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. And she goes, hey, Nyla, um, one of the first pillars in mindfulness is being non-judgmental." And I was like, What? Like, are you saying I'm judgmental? And she goes, kind of. Oh. And I was like, how so? And she said, it doesn't really matter what your opinion is. You couldn't just like what he liked? And I said, well, he asked my opinion. And then, you know, after a long conversation, I got it. I really think I understood that, you know what? If I'm going to help my children grow, they have to make their own choices. Mm-hmm. And it I, I can give my opinion, but I have to be open to what he likes. And then I could have just said, hey, it doesn't matter what I like. It matters what you like. And if you like orange shoes, I mean, it wasn't orange shoes. But <laughs> if you like those, I was going to say, maybe you wanted to put his personality in it a little. Or And you know what he did? He looked fantastic that night. But he said, I just want you to like what I like. And I get that too. And And I had to call him back after our phone call. And I said, hey, I do love you and and I want to like whatever you like I want to like it you just got to lead me that way yeah yeah you know and I and I with I, my I teen did, daughter we talk about that all the time it's a struggle it is a struggle yeah. but I had to text this this sweet um Catherine back in Italy and say <laughs> with task human and say you know what you gifted me my son and our family and generations to come for me because I think I'm judgmental, not on the appearance, but to be protective. Yeah, yeah. Because in my head, I'm like, well, those shoes aren't going to match. And I don't want, you know. But she said, I get you're it. You're being a mom. You're being a mom. <laughs> and and you're doing it. I have all my reasons to do it. But it wasn't to be harmful. But yet it can be taken harmful. Yeah. So I think judge being judgmental and mindfulness kind of made me step back and be very curious about about me. And I think if we do that, it opens up communication Mm -hmm. and a lot better relationships. I started asking, so why, why are you drawn to that and not this? And she says, you always go to the same thing. Like you always get the same kind of glasses. And I was like, oh, that is my, my comfort. So she, she helps me kind of to break out. So our kids are a little bit older. Yours younger yeah, my, so are you excited yeah. about her getting older oh yeah well, I mean when she decides she's putting on shoes that don't match I just roll with it I'm yeah. like it, that, look she's going to school her mom fusses at me every I'll time the every time she picks out, her yeah. up uh because you know how could you let her go dress like this is the usual <laughs> yeah. like well I try to get her dressed like you asked but she insisted See, that's awesome so I'm like all right well you have to deal with it <laughs> 
But so that, you know, it's learning for everyone. Maybe, maybe I'm supposed to be more, uh, no. you know, Mm-mm. but I'm like, oh. Joey, I think that's just it. We have don't to. don't match. I tell her, look, you see that color and that color doesn't match. But if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. And I think it's moving aside our opinion and letting somebody be who they are. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's where we have curiosity and diversity. Yeah. And, and and it just opens the door for taking a relationship even deeper. So I try to let them be kids. I said, there's going to be rules their whole life, work or yeah. school or something. And I'm like, See, y'all here, make, here, do your thing, man. Y'all are helping me again along the no, path of us. non-judgmental. <laughs> but I tell you what, um, and the, Catherine, this amazing woman said, and all you thought was what we were going to talk about today is monkey brain. And I said, yeah, <laughs> you changed You changed me. And you oh, helped. I love it. You have a topic you want us to cover, even about shoes. All you have to do is email us info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, I've heard about donation for research on your previous episodes. How does that differ from donation for transplantation? Great question. Yeah, and so, you know, of course, a lot of what we talk about is donation for transplantation. But as you heard today, yeah, that you know, there's there's a lot of opportunities there for donation for research, medical research, mm-hmm. and a lot of the medical research that goes on, whether it's you know trying to figure out the efficacy or the effectiveness of drugs mm-hmm. and how they respond to certain organs, mm-hmm. or if you simply you know, just to cure a disease or eliminate or eradicate a, t- a particular virus or, or you know, bacteria or whatever that is, like medical research is needed and donation of these organs for research is how this research takes place. You know, so it's, it's so funny. Like a lot of times I didn't, even in my own mind and doing this for 20 plus years, uh, when we were you know, you know, uh, when we met with people about brain research uh, such as this or such as the CTE that we've done with the NFL and things like that, like I, it, it's like it all of a sudden, like an epiphany, a yeah. light bulb yeah. goes off, and like, man, we are the ones that are helping facilitate all of this. Oh wow! That's, and these donors not... saying yeah. yes to donation mm-hmm. and and helping with saving lives through transplantation are also the ones that are the heroes in maybe potentially saving thousands of lives right. down the road. That is so true because so my mother died of breast cancer and then my dad eventually remarried and then his his second wife, my stepmother, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. So I saw both women go through mm. um gosh, through treatment and it is it is so different Uh, and it was just Mm -hmm. amazing like even their response to the chemo and the radiation because i think so much just in a short amount of time it changed yeah yeah again so so we'll recover organs say the liver for instance and and send the liver for research if it can't be used to save someone's life Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. through transplant and and through some of those research efforts those chemo drugs and all the different medications that we all take uh, are used specifically on on the liver to see how it metabolizes, how it works better, how it can be, how you can develop a more effective drug without all the negative side effects, and that's part of what we're trying to do with uh, medical research. Uh, with organ donation and tissue donation. Oh, Science is an incredible thing. It is, but the heroes that are part of that is yeah. so mm. beautiful. Yeah, 
Thank you, Joey. So if you have a question, give us a call, 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero, William Lee Morris. And we learn about Lee from his family. With the assistance of Lopa, we were given the information we needed to make the decision of organ donation. Within hours of his death, Lee's donation saved the life of Mike, a 57-year-old father, and Tracy, a 34-year-old lady, and gave sight to two others. Our family and the recipient families met and our memories of Lee continue to grow. Mike, Tracy, and their families are now a part of our extended family. Their lives and ours are forever changed because of Lee's act of donation. We were devastated by the loss of my son and the children's father. We wanted something good to come from this tragedy and have found great comfort in knowing many lives were saved, improved, or extended by Lee's organ, tissue, and bone donation. My son's trail of memories continues through Mike, Tracy, and the nameless others. Thank you to Lopa for helping my son and our family give the gift of life. We pause and say thank you to Lee for the gift of life. And that is episode 229, friends. Thanks for hanging with us and listening. Please tell your friends. And remember, you can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime. Registerme.org. Yeah, very special thanks to Ryan Johnson and Dr. Crystal Glover for coming on, sharing their work, or what they're doing. Wow. At, yeah. At Rush <laughs> wow. Alzheimer's wow. Disease Center. And it's not just about Alzheimer's. When Going into this, I was kind of thinking well, that was mostly what we were going to talk about, but you know, the fact that they're they're not only working with Alzheimer's in some of the preventative measures of Alzheimer's, which is amazing. That's really what it's about, right? But they're also advancing kind of the healthy brain and, and uh, aging in, in a, a better way by the research that they're doing. You know, we're getting up there, you know, in that age where they even talked about 65, where, where you can actually sign up. Why are you looking at me, Joey? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, we're not that far behind, you know, uh, you know, at least me, uh, but no, comment. but, the, but the fact that, you know, this work might even impact us in just a matter of a few years, you know, and who so knows the possibilities. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. amazing. So kudos to them for their work and pushing forward and. Um, We hope that they come back here on The Gifted Life and and tell us more. We love that. The best place to find us and information just like that at our website, thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others find us. And on social, please like our page on Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Until next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Nala Schwab. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. 
Producer is Shalon Carraway, and we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 